This is the Combined Effort Podcast, sponsored by Electro Savings Credit Union, where our business is your business. Check out their small business program at electrosavings.com. Also, would you like to regain some energy, lose some weight, improve your libido? The National Rejuvenation Centers of St. Louis are here to help. Their doctors specialize in treating low hormone levels to make you feel young again. Schedule a free consultation, go to nrcenters.com or call 314-764-2114. New show coming up. Let's go. Welcome to the next episode of the Combined Effort Podcast. With me tonight, I've got a longtime friend, grade school, former line mate, Joseph Sullivan, one of the prides of Florissant, Missouri. Joe, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, PK. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm happy you're going to join us here. Joe, what's your current position? Well, currently, my full-time job, I'm an inside sales executive with CSI Leasing, which is a global independent listor technology equipment, but uh, I don't think we're here to talk about that portion of, uh, of my work life. Yeah, well, uh, what do you think we brought you in for here, Joe? Well, I'm uh, currently in my seventh year uh, officiating for the National Collegiate Hockey Conference, which is a conference uh, competing in NCAA Division One ice hockey. What are a couple so, schools in that conference? Uh, you're looking at uh, all the big Western schools, uh, you know, North Dakota, Meso, Duluth, Denver, Colorado College. Um, you know, in the NCHC, we actually have the last four straight national championships. Wow. So uh, pretty competitive conference. Gotcha. And you said you've been doing this for seven years. How long have you been in, in officiating itself? Well, you know, I started uh, started early, uh, not to go too in-depth into the story, but um, – you know, did it when I was a kid. I was a, uh, I was a rink rat, and mm-hmm. my, my dad was an official, and I saw it as a way to get extra ice so yeah. as, as I could right at 13 years old. Instead of just playing, uh, playing tape ball hockey in the lobby, I was able to get on the ice in between, uh, you know, when I had practice. My brother had a game later on in the day, and my dad was refing games. So uh, started pretty early, and then um, in high school got involved, uh, was able to get involved at kind of more of a regional level. And then um, played two years at Lindenwood. And then pretty much in 2005, it became a full-time job when I got hired by the United States Hockey League inside of the uh, USA Hockey Development Program. That's, so. that's, yeah, and it's a family trait, too. I mean, we, we grew up together. Your brother was a goalie. We were both defensemen. Your dad was pretty prominent in the referee circle um, for the state of Missouri. So it, it's a family trait for you, which is awesome. Um you know, what's your average day look like? I know you're, you're juggling, you've got the full-time gig, but also, you know, you said schools like Minnesota, Duluth, um, you know, schools that are pretty hefty drive away. And, you know, usually I ask what's your average day look like, but what's a weekend look like? Because really this is, you know, you're balancing your full-time job and then, and then this referee job where there's, you know, a good chunk of travel in between, you know, what's your average Wednesday through Sunday look like? Or is that your kind of juggling schedule? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a compact weekend. Uh, typically the schools, uh, will play, will play a series, um, two games, two games in one location. And we'll officiate both of those games. And typically those are Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a first flight in first flight out protocol with mm-hmm. the league. And so pretty much every, every weekend that I'm working Friday morning, I'm out of St. Louis at 6am 
connecting to uh, connecting to wherever, whether that's Minneapolis or North Dakota or headed out to Western Michigan or Miami. And, uh, you know, in there right away on Friday, as early as we can get in there and, uh, you know, get into the town, catch, uh, you know, check in the hotel, catch a catch a big lunch, uh, maybe a nap to you know, kind of disrupt the early morning. And then, uh, you know, we, we have to arrive at the rink, usually about an hour and a half to hour 45 before the game, depending on the, depending on the arena and what you have to get done. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and then from there, kind of, you know, it's funny to watch guys evolve because, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm fortunate to do it with a lot of guys who I've been doing it for a long time with. And, you know, it's a pretty loose environment until that 60 minute clock counts down. You see guys kind of, it's still loose, but everybody has their own own little uh, pregame ritual that they do. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Even right. referees. Referees have a pregame ritual. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. Even for referees, you know, it's... Uh, you know, we're, we're just as nervous, if not more, more nervous than anybody, um, mm-hmm. you know, so we have, you know, the same things that you've been doing for a dozen years. And, you know, I have the same, I have the same kind of active stretch warm up that I've done since, you know, 2007. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it yeah. might not look as good as it did in 2007, <laughs> but uh, still getting through it. So you said, you know, when that clock starts at 60 minutes till puck drop, what is there anything happening behind the scenes that's that's protocol for officials? I mean, we know you guys get on the ice and enforce the rules the best you can. Um, Is there any what are your duties in between walking into the arena and puck drop? Yeah, you know, we have uh, we actually at the college level, we go on all four officials go on the ice for warm ups. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the 25 minute mark, we do have a captain's meeting before each game with both of the team captains, which, uh, you know, some nights there's a lot to say. Some nights there's not. Is that done at the professional level, too? No, no. Okay. At the professional level, it's uh, that was actually a big, a big adjustment for me moving to college hockey was uh, trying to figure out what to do. How to get <laughs> We're going to talk. I don't know what about. It, but. Yeah, I, I hadn't gone on the ice for warm ups in years and years. And uh, now I have to go out there and talk to talk to captains. But uh, no, it's, um, you know, that doesn't happen at the pro level. And it's actually where it is. It's probably going to be going away at the college level, too, just because there's uh, there's not a huge reason for us to be out there the way the game is now with all the cameras that are available. So I got you. What's one thing that you think the average listener should know about refereeing hockey at whatever level? Well, I mean, I imagine uh, imagine everybody knows it's really hard. Um, you know, but for the average, uh, but for the average, there's some that make it look more difficult than others, but yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, of course. Of course. We've all, uh, I think we all saw the clips in the playoffs last year, but, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, um, you know, it, uh, the biggest thing to know, whether, especially at the local level, which most people are involved in is that the majority of times, the people who are on the ice are just trying to get better every Mm -hmm. single game and they're going to make mistakes. And, you know, if it's a, you know, if your 12 year old son's playing, playing a game, you know, more than likely that official that you're yelling at is, you know, maybe 14, maybe 15 years old. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to cut their teeth and, you know, abuse is a real, real issue that we deal with at the grassroots level uh, where, you know, as far as retaining officials, um, you know, USA Hockey loses 50% of their first year officials every year. Jesus. And the majority of that reason cited um, is because of abuse. Um, so the more that we can kind of curb that type of behavior away from a fan standpoint, 
um, you know, the better it'll be for the game. Because obviously you look here in St. Louis with the Blues winning the cup, we're going to have an influx of young hockey players. Just like when me and you were growing up, when we, we hit the bread, pulp, bread hole. We had a hole in us. Everybody was playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to hit an even bigger boom, which has been seen in other cities that have won their first Stanley Cups, where the hockey playing population is going to grow exceedingly but we won't have enough officials to cover all the games locally and it's boys and girls i mean you, you, when yeah. we're growing up i mean we had amy god rest her soul miss her yeah. um yeah. but you know it wasn't really girls weren't playing it now i mean my buddy's two two daughters are playing um our our buddy tommy lang just at maryville university starting women's hockey um you know it, it's going on both sides of the sexes which again you're going to need more referees of course um, what about at the pro and collegiate level? What, what's something that someone might not appreciate about refereeing at that level? You know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think at the pro, it's two different levels because at the pro level, you're looking at entertainment. So, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. I was talking to, uh, talking to another referee who came up through the ranks with me and we were laughing because we don't really, we don't really hear the boo birds too often anymore in the, uh, in the college game. Where, mm-hmm. you know, at the minor league pro level, obviously, it's a little bit more of a raucous atmosphere. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a given that you're going to hear them every time you stepped on the ice. You kind of became <laughs> to love it. And <laughs> funny when, you know, a college game starts to go a little bit sideways where, you know, maybe you make a call against the home team where, you know, the crowd's incensed or whatever. And you, you come on the ice for the next period and they remember it. You get the you get the nice boo, boo uh, stand, mm-hmm. standing ovation and. You know, it's uh, kind of brings you back to the old days a little bit, but uh, you know, you uh, you you definitely hear it uh, during the game. You don't, you, you know, it's just like the players. If you ask them, uh, if you ask the players if they hear the crowd at all, you, you you never hear the crowd during the game. It's always those moments before that, uh, you know, you just kind of put a grin on your face and you know skate on through. So. <laughs> That's us. Yep. yep. Um, you know, hockey is such an evolving sport. Players are bigger, stronger, faster now. Uh, on top of that, with the officiating world, you've got a lot more um, access to cameras, not necessarily in, in the minor league college that of the, the replay capabilities of the NHL, but the technology is slowly trickling down. Uh, in the world of a referee at the collegiate and minor league professional level, what's the next five years look like when, when it comes to rules, when it comes to, to just hockey in general? Um, are there any rule changes that you see coming up that are good, that are bad? You know, in the next five years of hockey in officiating – and, and the laws of hockey, do you, what do you see changing? Well, one thing that I love that the NHL did this year was that they added the penalty for coaches' challenge. I agree. Because yeah. yeah. it was two minutes for if, yeah. you, if you challenge an illegal stick and you're wrong, it was two minutes then. I don't understand why they didn't start with it being a delay a game right exactly. off the bat here. Exactly. And that and the fact that, you you know, I don't agree with a timeout hinging on um, a possible missed call when mm-hmm. the game is going so fast now and mm-hmm. we're talking about inches and millimeters that can be seen by a high def TV, you know, where we're having, you know, offside calls being overturned by, you know, a quarter of an inch with a player's skate just barely being lifted off the ice when they're moving 24 miles an hour, you know, and the linesman sees that foot dragon, of course he's going to wave it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, you can see what the human eye can see, but, um, you know, the increased replay availabilities, we have a ton of replay available to us uh, in college hockey. 
Mm -hmm. uh, some in more buildings than others, just because of, you know, the amount of cameras in that building and the systems involved. Uh, you look at a you look at a building like North Dakota, which is one of the top uh, top arenas in, for college hockey in the country. They have a uh, Midco Sports is always broadcasting those games, so we have a ton of uh, ton of cameras available, ton of looks available for any anything that we're looking at. Um, and then you go to other buildings where maybe they just have an in-house college broadcast with, uh, you know, a camera at center ice, a couple of overhead cameras, and maybe one in each corner. And you don't have as many things to look at. So, you know, I see as far as college hockey, I see the replay, the replay getting better um, just because technology will advance and mm -hmm. this one's will get faster and more camera angles will be available. Um, at the pro level, I think it's at a point now where, you know, we're at a good spot um, at the NHL. I'm sure they're going to continue to add cameras um, and add reviews for those guys, but they're able to get those replays done so quickly now at the NHL level when they're talking to the war room and everything else, and you don't have that drawn-out replay that sometimes we do have at the college level. Gotcha. What rules do you see coming up that are new, that might get changed, that might – um, be altered here in the next five years and any, any rules of the game that you see changing? You know, you hear, you hear things here and there, but uh, you know, the majority of the theme that I've heard over the last few years is that everybody's really hot, happy with where the rules are at. Um, mm -hmm. as much change as we've gone through, um, you know, you talk about the NHL level cause that's what everybody sees on TV. Um, you know, the game has obviously gone in a, in a better direction. Mm -hmm. um, you're starting to see a big correction based on the head contact penalties. Mm -hmm. um, a big so the players are by correction. What do you mean? Players are adjusting to it or players are adjusting to it as far as the way they played mm -hmm. the game. Whereas, you know, a hit that we saw, you know, back in 1998 is never a hit that you're going to see anymore. And if you do see it, unless you're Kachuk in Calgary. Right, right. But, you know, you're still going to have a little bit of that. But, uh, you know, you're never going to see that high-flying hit coming across the middle um, mm -hmm. unless it's a mistake. Where's the timing mistake? That we saw with Corey Perry in the, uh, the All-Star Classic or mm -hmm. the Winter Classic where, you know, he, that, was, that hit was purely a timing mistake. And mm -hmm. he never meant to hit that guy in the face. And he had a long, long walk oh, to the long. locker room. Squeak, squeak. Oh man. Um, you know, besides your, your sales position and refereeing, what else are you de dedicated to? Where else can we find Joe Sullivan when he's got some Joe Sullivan time? Well, I got, uh, got a beautiful family here at home. So I like to, uh, like to spend definitely as much time with them as possible, especially with my travel during the winter. Uh, you know, beautiful wife, Christy, uh, five-year-old daughter and, uh, two and a half-year-old son. So, always trying to spend as much time with them as possible, but are the kids starting to get into hockey yet or, you know, we've been going skating, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Gracie, uh, Gracie caught a little bit of the bug during the, uh, during the, during the playoff run, we let her stay up late and watch, you know, watch some extra periods of hockey, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, she was four years old, so couldn't let her stay up too late, but she got to, got to get a good glimpse of blues hockey. And Leo's just, uh, you know, he's just ripping around. I take him out and he pushes the bucket around and you know, <laughs> sorry, he's starting to pick it up really quick, especially for two and a half. So it's fun to see. But, uh, you know, it's so it it's funny talking about the kids is because, you know, getting that first Stanley Cup for the city was you know, it, some of the things that I didn't realize is how, you know, my children 
like they see the Stanley Cup on a building or, you know, on, you know, mm-hmm. championship hat, you know, it's on the back of the back of that. They see it and they know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. you know, at first glimpse, they, you know, and they get all excited, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. And it's such a cool thing to have your kids know what the Stanley Cup is and have experienced experience that and seen it at such a young age where we definitely didn't get that opportunity. <laughs> now nah, we had some, some disappointments for sure. Man. Um, yeah. Are you a book guy, podcast, audio books, TV? Do you have, is there a TV show you got to watch? What, what's your go-to? Yeah. I mean, we're uh, pretty simple people. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, what's your favorite? Always have. Uh, yeah. I, Joe Rogan is definitely mm-hmm. one. I try to catch as much of Joe Rogan as possible. I just love the long form interviews. Um, mm-hmm. And then a great one is Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Uh, okay. What's that one about? You're oh, it sounds like history. You're a history buff. You're, it's a, it's a deep dive into all sorts of, uh, all sorts of his history events and uh great, great listen. So, yeah. and then of course, Fed and Chicklets. So, oh, it's classic. It's always good so good. That. Yeah. So good. Uh, out of your officiating career, what was the best moment? When was the moment you said, man, this is, this is awesome. This is truly awesome. You know, I always look back. I think it's the, uh, you know, the year that I worked the finals in the East Coast Hockey League, I got to work. Uh, it was a game three that went to double overtime, had a had a great game, you know, a flawless game, ended up home team one, you know, place was packed and a huge wide out down there in Fort Myers, Florida. I think it was like 98 degrees that day because, you know, June 2nd or something, the ice was half melting. Just a just a miserable, you know, I think I lost like eight pounds that night, but Mm. You know, just uh, seeing a home team win in double overtime and a great, great hockey game and the fireworks going off, everything else. That was, uh, you know, that was pretty awesome. I was fortunate in my career. I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of success where I was able to work a lot of championships, um, kind of every level that I that I went up. And, you know, it's no different, no different today. You're still fighting for every year. You're fighting for a championship. You're fighting to kind of be the last referee on the ice Um, Mm -hmm. and that's just a competition thing between between us refs we're all really good friends in our how's that evaluated well we have uh we have a supervision staff between our director officiating uh Mm -hmm. don adam and then he also has four supervisors that cover the game so actually at the at the college level in the nchc um i'm actually supervised more than i ever was at the minor pro or junior level really um yeah yeah i would say about 90 90 to 95 percent of the games that i do has a supervisor in the building so Hmm. that's uh and we find that really beneficial Uh, really is is it is it construction criticism after games is it do you get more feedback and also is that because at that level, there's more up and coming referees. What's the reason for that? Just more, you know, more under a uh, microscope. Yeah, there's not more up and coming referees. Kind of everybody who's in the at the college level is kind of in the same boat where I am, where you kind of went through the ranks. The NHL uh, decided not to hire you, and mm-hmm. you know, you kind of you get a job and you're able to you're able to still do what you love in the college game. Um, but it's definitely under a larger microscope and, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with coaches and everything else. It's, it's really nice to have a supervisor there who kind of acts as a meet intermediary uh, as, mm-hmm. as any, um, any complaints or anything else. Obviously you're still going to be dealing with the coaches while you're on the ice 
during the games, but, um, you know, it's nice when something kind of nutty happens on a Friday yeah. night, you have a supervisor there who's able to kind of calm the fires behind the scenes. So is refereeing within a conference more beneficial where you, you know, the coach as well, or you see him a couple times a season, or is it more beneficial to you? You know, maybe you see him once a year instead of four or five times in a conference. I think it's always, especially with coaches at this level where, you know, a college coach is going to be at a university for a long amount of time, Mm -hmm. as opposed to at the pro level, you'd be seeing, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the natural progression where, you know, a guy would be here two years and then he would move up a level or he would move over. And, you know, it's, uh, it was a constant, uh, you know, kind of a revolving door where mm-hmm. at the college level, it's very much They're tenured, much more tenured and mm-hmm. you need to develop relationships. So, you know, I prefer to, you know, I prefer to see these coaches, you know, um, a good amount uh, as much as much as possible. And, you know, I think it's it, our director of officiating does a really good job of not overexposing us to mm-hmm. teams where he doesn't, you know, he makes sure not to, not to schedule us back-to-back weekends a lot of times, or, you know, with a certain team or anything else, or not to, mm-hmm. not to have a C1 team too many times. So, Gotcha. Was there ever a point in your refereeing career where you said, you know what, I'm hanging up the skates, this isn't for me? Um, was there ever a challenging point like that? You know, I think um, I had that point the, the first year I was doing this. Um, mm-hmm. Right at, at age 13, or was this at the college pro level? The, this was junior hockey, and I was okay. ref in the USHL, but in the USA USA development program, you you work the majority of the games in the USHL, and then you have filler games elsewhere. Um, I had a great first half of the season, uh, working the top level of junior hockey in the United States, and this is, you know, we're talking about I'm 21 years old, mm-hmm. and, you know, driving all over the place, having a great time. And then all of a sudden the December schedule comes out and, you know, I don't have a single USHL game. And all of a sudden I'm on some lower, lower level games, you know, and I battle through a couple of weekends. And you know, I think it's the third weekend, December, you know, I had to, you know, go up to Traverse City, Michigan and up to Alpena with a trip way up north, you know, no flight, mm-hmm. of course, you're just driving everywhere at this point. So, you know, I'm sitting there on Wednesday looking you know, looking at 12 hour drive in my face. And you know, I was telling my dad, I was just, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think I can do it, you know? I just, mm-hmm. And cause I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be doing refing hockey if I wasn't on a correct path to go forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my biggest doubt in my career. Um, you know, until I, you know, I picked up the phone on the way up there and called my boss and, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, why are you sending me to all these places? And it turned out, you know, he said the same thing that I was just talking about. He didn't want to overexpose me mm-hmm. in my first year to all the USHL teams. So I had to hmm. take them off. That was a, kind, was of, a kind of a compliment. Level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it definitely redeemed itself by the end of the year. Kind of, yeah. you know. Well, the important thing you did there, too, is you asked a question. There's a lot of people that get lost in their careers like that, that. You know, you don't ask the coach or you don't ask your boss, you know, hey, things change. What, what changed? Yeah. And that's yeah. huge. And that's, uh, that's one thing that I found beneficial throughout my entire career is to kind of always have that open dialogue, figure mm-hmm. out exactly what you're going on. Because if you're asking, then you're, you know, if you're unsure about where you're at in your career, 
you're going to be second your second guessing yourself while you're doing your tasks. Mm-hmm. So you want to you always want to have that clear mind. What was the moment that it completely redeemed your doubt? You know, in that situation, I was you know that next spring, I was able to referee the finals of the USHL and referee the finals of the North American League. So I had two championships under my belt that spring. Where that same year. That same year. So, That's awesome. you know, it was a pretty, uh, pretty quick redemption and just knowing like that kind of solidified it within myself, you know, just trust the process. There's, you know, there's a reason why things happen and why you mm-hmm. have to go through certain, certain pitfalls. And mm-hmm. it's just all part of the process. And you have to trust it. So I, I, when I mentioned, I asked you the question about the moment of doubt in your career choice, and I, I, I really thought there was going to be a reference to a game that you refereed in February 2012 in Toledo. Toledo, is that in Ohio? Yep, the uh, I believe it was the Walleyes. I, I don't know who yeah. they were playing, but their coach disagreed with the call you made. Yeah, yeah, they were actually, uh, I believe they were playing the Wheeling Nailers that night. That's 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 minor league hockey at its best. Yeah, another storied hockey club, and I believe it was Tony Stewart night in Toledo, mm-hmm. Ohio. So we had the race car uniforms on and uh, having having fun in front of a sold out crowd. And, and actually, that's a beautiful building up there, yeah. built in Toledo. And those fans up there, they pack it every night. It's a real fun environment, um, you know. And it uh, it was a team that struggled. They, Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't, as much as they packed the house, uh, the first five years, they really didn't have much, much luck on the scoreboard. And especially that year, um, you know, the 11, 12 season, they were, they were struggling pretty hard. And me and, uh, me and Nick Vitucci, we, we had, uh, we had an interesting relationship where he, you know, he's a fiery guy and he's their head coach. And I was a. Yeah, it was the head coach and, you know, and I was still a young referee and, you know, we, we didn't get along and his assistant, Dan Watson, we didn't, you know, I didn't get along with him. So it was always a battle every time, every time I was in Toledo and I saw them a lot living mm-hmm. in St. Louis and, um, you know, they took exception. They, there was a fight. They thought that there should have been an instigator. And, uh, you know, I told him that was their guy who needed to answer the bell for a chief shot that he threw. And, you know, they kind of, they kind of went off on it and Nick had, Nick had had enough. And, you know, after I benched him, he decided to throw a fastball with a full water bottle and <laughs> over quick. So, you know, and then, uh, it was yeah, a couple of water bottles, a few, few racks of sticks. <laughs> yeah. The best part of the whole story is, you know, it was, it was a year later, um, buddy of mine, another referee sends me a Yahoo, Yahoo sports, uh, dot com article and it was talking about Toledo was having a bobblehead night celebrating Nick Vitucci and it was Uh him posing with the water bottle you know there's a stick in his hand and everything else so I shot (laughs) the front office and I said you know I I gotta have one of these (laughs) and and sure enough a couple weeks later FedEx box shows up on my doorstep and inside of it's the the bottle head with a little note just saying Sully we couldn't have done it without you <laughs> that's so, so awesome yeah I actually still have that bobblehead on my desk uh, you know, that's a great know. keepsake yeah so besides um being in the hockey world did you have any other jobs that have helped you referee yeah you know um all the jobs have helped me that I've had you know I see is helping me going 
you know, as I to continue to go through life, um, you know, worked, uh, you know, worked all the manual labor jobs. I cut grass on a golf course. I weed whacked. I, uh, you know, worked for the city of Florissant street department, shoveling asphalt and doing concrete and all that fun stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, then when I got in the golf industry, um, you know, which I really enjoyed, uh, the golf mm-hmm. industry, um, you know, and kind of, as you, get into management and that yeah go into a little bit more of the food and beverage side and waiting tables and everything else and you know my dad always said there's you know there's three things that every person should do when they're growing up so that they know mm-hmm. how to treat people and that's wait tables work a manual labor job and referee a sport mm-hmm. and then you'll know how to treat people for the rest and you're three for three well yeah of course but <laughs> uh, yeah but no, it's, uh, you know, the golf industry is definitely one where, you know, you really learned customer service and oh yeah from a, from a sales standpoint, you know, it's, uh, you know, working in golf helped me. I'm able to talk to anybody, um, mm-hmm. no matter where you're from or, you know, what background you come from, I can, you know, try to find some way to relate with you mm-hmm. and then figure out, you know, how I can make you happy. So you know, that, uh, that's probably the biggest thing that the golf industry taught me. And being in the golf industry too, did you get your teaching card or no? I did. I did. Uh-huh. I, was, uh, I passed my, uh, PGA playing ability test mm-hmm. and was a, uh, was a PGA apprentice, um, up until this past year, um, mm-hmm. after leaving the, leaving the industry, just kind of had to give it up, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that I wasn't going to be going back, um, just because, you know, it's uh, it's a tough life being mm-hmm. a being a general manager of a golf course. That was kind of my uh, end game with uh, with the golf industry and the path that I was moving towards. And with two little kids at home and a you know, wife that was uh, was a little unhappy with the amount of time that I wasn't at home. I just didn't yeah. that changing. So yeah, you know, had to make a had to make a career change for my family. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it's been a great one yeah i mean definitely family comes first when these you know these things happen life happens um if you i'm gonna ask you to write three notes just a sticky note quick phrase to give to yourself what would you say to yourself when 13 year old joe sullivan from today to 13 year old joe sullivan yeah it's something that was told to me so many times for so many different people and it's work harder than everyone else and be nice to everyone you meet Bottom line, you do those two things and you're going to be fantastic. When you weren't getting scheduled for the games that you wanted to, um, and you're having that conversation with your dad, what would you want to say to yourself from now to yourself then? You know, just be patient, be patient, Mm -hmm. trust the process. And, you know, if you do those things and do the right steps, good things will happen. What do you want to say to yourself in 10 years? I hope you did things to make life better for everyone else. That's, uh, that's the end game. You know, we want to, uh, want to leave the world a better place than where we left it. Um, you know, we want to do great things and, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a better place for everyone else. So. Good deal. If, is there a question that you want to ask to anyone dead or alive? And what is that question? Yeah, I don't know if it's a question, but I would love to have a conversation with Nigel Owens. Who's Nigel Owens? Nigel Owens is a Australian rugby official. 
who's one of the top rugby officials in the world. He always works the, you know, the rugby world cup and all the top, uh, you know, the world, the world championships every year. Mm-hmm. And he's known as basically one of the best communicators um, at, in officiating. And no. look, yeah, look up YouTube videos of the guy, you know, he can bring, you know, he can bring all 32 guys who are on the field. He'll stop the game, bring them all together and just read them the right act, you know, mm-hmm. because in you know, rugby is a difficult sport. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult to officiate and he's just a little guy. You know, mm-hmm. so he's talking to all these behemoths out there and he has the respect of everybody and mm-hmm. it's because he, he communicates so incredibly well. And rugby is one sport. I'll see a guy get murdered four times and on the fifth time it's a foul. I'm like, why is that any different than the other four? <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's, it's a crazy sport. It's kind of um, code. Yeah. Uh, what product or service did you think of first? That's now a big thing. You know, uh, I'm the kind of guy, like I always think I have a big idea. And then mm-hmm. realize that it's been around for like five years. So I don't think <laughs> what's uh, what's one of these ideas I've ever like thought about and was like, man, I should invent this. And then sure enough, five years later, it's always something like when I moved into the house that we're at currently, we got a, we got a nice little pool in the backyard and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the first summer I had it, I'm looking at it and I'm like, God, I, you know, I should invent this thing. I had an idea, you know, a little skimmer right next to the, right next to the drain, you know, so all the leaves will just go get collected and go in the drain. And then sure enough, is like a month later, I picked up the pool catalog and there's one in there. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'm a genius. And then, you know, realize it's stuff that's been around forever. Yeah. When I come up with ideas, I, I Google it. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to be the first one to think of this. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, you know, my next question typically to end a show is how would we do business with your company and find you on social media? Um, We'd watch your game on TV. How often are the games? I know every once in a while I'll see your dad on Facebook post, happy to watch Joe at this game, or, you know, my son's refereeing this one, or I'm at that one. Um, where do we find you refereeing games? Yeah, um, you know, the NCHC, we're, we're fortunate to have a pretty good TV footprint. Um, here in January, we start to get into our CBS sports schedule, where mm-hmm. every uh, every Friday from January through – through February, pretty much, uh, we'll have NCHC games on TV. Um, so typically a Friday night, we're going to catch Joe Sullivan with a whistle on the CBS network. Maybe, maybe not. You know, we also, uh, we're on the Fox sports family, especially when we're up in Duluth or up in St. Cloud, uh, Fox sports North or Fox sports college sports carries a lot of the games. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, once we get into the tournament, ESPN kind of takes over. Gotcha. Well, good deal, Joe. Joe is longtime friend. Great catching up with you. Tell your family I said hello. Um, you know, anything you want to say to the listeners before we sign off here? You know, I think uh, you know what I tell everybody. If you have a, if you have a dream and you're able to go after it, do it because you never know what could happen. Um, you know, and if you have that opportunity in your life, just work as hard as you can, and you know, relish every second of it. Words to Live By by Joe Sullivan. Uh, this is the Combined Effort Podcast uh, brought to you by Electro Savings Credit Union, where our business is your business, and the National Rejuvenation Centers of St. Louis. Look better, feel better, be healthier. Joseph, again, thank you so much for being on the show. A lot of insight into refereeing, a sport that a lot of my listeners love to watch. Um, thank you again. Again, tell your family I said hello. And thank you all listeners for listening to the Combined Effort Podcast. We'll catch you next episode.